Good morning, everybody. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for braving the elements and getting here today. Good for you. Uh, we weren't sure when we saw the snow coming down how many people would get out. Uh, lots of people probably don't have their snow tires on their vehicle yet. I'm one of them, and uh, so thanks for uh, thanks for making a, a point to get here. We're so glad. Uh, today we're in week two of a little message series that I uh, started last week. We're going to be in this for three weeks, and uh, this is the big idea. You're not Jesus. Now, as I said last week, we shouldn't even have to talk about this because I don't think anyone listening to me today would claim to be Jesus. I don't think anyone would say, yeah, I am the Savior of the world. I am perfect. I'm the only Son of God. None of us would claim to be Jesus. So why are we talking about it? And the answer to that question is really because sometimes, even though we know we're not Him, we act like we are. And sometimes we cross lines. I said last week that, you know, uh, being like Jesus does not mean that you are Jesus. The example I used last week was I said, hey, you could try to be like me. I'm not sure why you would want to do that, but you could try to be like me, but it would never make you me. You wouldn't be the father to my four children, and you wouldn't be the lead pastor of this church, because those are unique responsibilities that that I carry. And in the same way, there are some responsibilities that belong to Jesus and not to his church and not to his followers. And so while we are to follow him and to follow his example, and while we are to uh, be transformed into his image and to look to him and to be like Jesus, all of that is true, uh, but we're not Jesus. And what happens is when we, when we try to do what is Jesus' responsibility, we actually do a lot of damage to ourselves. We do damage to our family and friends. We do damage to our culture. In fact, we do damage to the, to the name and the reputation of Jesus when we overstep. Um, last week, we talked about how there's a difference between how people view Christians and how people view Jesus. So Christians are supposed to be people who are seeking to be like Jesus. And yet, when you meet people who don't go to church, who maybe don't have faith, and you ask them what they think about Christians, they might say, I wish this were not the case, but they might say Christians are judgmental. We talked about that last week. Or they might say Christians are controlling or Christians are self-righteous. They think they're, they're better than everyone else, which is unfortunate because when you think about Jesus, very few people think about that. Very few people think of Jesus as judgmental or self-righteous. And so there's this disparity between what people think of as, about Christians and what they think about the one that us Christians are supposed to be following. One of the reasons for this, as I said last week, is that we are, we are imperfect and we're all on this journey to become more like Jesus. The other reason is because we overstep and uh, we act like we're Jesus and we take his responsibilities to ourselves. So last week we kicked things off with this, that Jesus is the judge and you are not. And we said this, that one day every single person will stand before Jesus. If you're hearing me today, there is coming a moment in history when you will stand alone before Jesus and he'll sit in his throne and he'll judge you and he'll judge me. And he'll, he won't care about what your friends did, and he won't care about what your spouse did or didn't do, and he won't care about what opportunities. It's like, what did you do with what I gave you? Were you faithful? And he's going to judge each of us. And when we know this, it's really important, uh, it ought to make us a lot slower to judge the people around us. Knowing that if I judge you harshly, that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to judge me harshly, and, and I don't want any of that. So we talked last week about when we have to judge someone, we've got to do it slowly, we have to do it carefully, and we have to do it mercifully. Because with the measure that we judge others, we'll one day be judged. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check out last week's message on our, on our YouTube page. But today, before I introduce our new theme, I want to share this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That, that we're actually to, 
in some aspects, surrender to him and to trust him with everything. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. That if we're willing to trust God, if we're willing to do life his way, that he will make our paths straight. That he will lead and guide us and take care of the rest. This is such a... Now, many people have this verse maybe uh, memorized or, or maybe you have it on a plaque, maybe an art piece hanging in your, in your... And it's a great verse. I mean, it's just a great verse. The only issue with this verse, it's really hard to do. And one of the reasons why this verse, trusting the Lord with all our heart, trusting the Lord with my relationships, trusting the Lord with my money, trusting the Lord with my kids, the reason why this is so hard is because there's something inside of us that wants, and this is our theme for today, control. Now, let me ask a question. Please be honest. How many of you would put up your hand and say, actually, I, I kind of like to be in control. You know, I like to be in control. Okay. Bunch of hands. That's, that's really good. Now, if you uh, had your hand up and while you had it up, you were thinking about raising someone else's hand, <laughs> you might be a control freak. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, all of us know somebody who's super controlling. Everyone knows a control freak. If you don't, it's probably you. I'll just throw that out there. Uh, we, all, we all have somebody in mind. It's never us. I mean, we never think, oh, I'm the control freak. It's always, it's them and, and it's the other person. And we, we look at the situation and we go, oh, man. And then the truth of the matter is when we think of people who are controlling or control freaks, we often think of A-type personalities. Um, we did the colors a month or so ago. It's like the red personalities who are kind of dominant and strong and vocal and, and expressive. So, uh, you know, you have that person that's like, move out of the way, I'll do it. And like, hey, everybody do what I'm saying. And like just really overtly loud and controlling. But but we all know that, that that's one way to, that's kind of, that's my kind of jam. That's, that's, I'm working on it. Uh, that's kind of where I would fall. But I've noticed that other people who are calm and nice also have their own ways to control. And there's lots of ways that we can control other people. One, one of the best ways that I've found is guilt. If you, if you put a little bit of guilt on somebody, you can get them to do what you want. And uh, so, I mean, if you want to control somebody, just try it. It works. But here's the problem. When you use guilt on somebody, it only works for a little while. And then the relationship goes sour and everything begins to fall apart. So that's the warning. Okay, so it works, but not for long. And, and this is the case with many of the things. When we try to control other people, sometimes it works, but not for long. So we can find all kinds of ways to control other people. Guilt is one. Uh, we can withdraw love. You know, I'm not talking to you. Oh. You know, and we, we pull away, give the cold shoulder. That's a way to control somebody. Unless you give me what I want. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you what you want, right? It's control. Uh, we can control through gossip. So there's all kinds of ways. This is the thing that I want you to, to understand, that there are all kinds of ways. And so uh, I thought it might be fun. Um, hey, you guys want to hear a control freak joke? Yes, you do. <laughs> that's the joke. Uh, that's the joke. Um, some of you may have heard of a guy named Jeff Foxworthy. He does the you might be a redneck joke, right? And, uh, and I thought, um, you know, if you've ever heard him, he's like, if you've got a transmission in your bathtub... You might be a redneck, you know. So I thought we could do that with you might be a control freak. And as I said last week, my hope in this series is that as we're talking about judgment and control and, and all these things, that as we're talking about them, there should be a little ouch going on. You should go, oh man, I'm more judgmental than I thought. Oh man, I really am trying to control other people. There should be that ouch, that reproof. But then the beautiful thing about this is that when we release the things that are not ours back to God and we give them back to Jesus, there's relief. 
There's peace that comes. And, and that's really what I hope for everybody. So, so let, me, let me share a few of these with you. Hopefully, the, one of these will kind of hit you square in the eyes. Uh, if you are constantly helping everyone with your constructive criticism, you might be a control freak. It's amazing. I tend to provide more constructive criticism than is um, usually requested. And nobody ever seems to like it. They don't appreciate my, my spiritual gift of criticism. <laughs> Uh, if people in your life usually feel guilty and they don't know why, you might be a control freak. Don't worry about the person around you. I'm talking about you. You might be a control freak. Okay, if you can't enjoy a ride in a car without providing constant feedback, go faster, go slower, turn right, turn left. Hey, if you would have gone that way, we could have saved two minutes. Blah, blah, blah. You might be uh, a control freak. All right. If you withhold love, affection, or attention until you get what you want, you might be a control freak. If your kids can't leave the house in clothes that don't match, you might be a control freak. I'm trying to get everybody here. Um, if you give somebody a job and then you take it back so it'll be done right, you might be a control freak. Here's the last one. If you do your homework for your kids and you're furious when they get a B+, plus, <laughs> you might be You might be. Okay, a control freak. See, the truth of the matter is, whether you're a really controlling person or not, all of us struggle with this desire to be in control. Not only of ourselves, but of our surroundings, of the people around us. And I should, I should state this, that there are some things, there are some things that are ours to control. You know this, like, it's not all control is bad. There are some things that you're supposed to control. Like, the first thing you're supposed to control is yourself. <laughs> it's this strange thing that seems to be disappearing in our culture. It's called self-control, right? Uh, so there are some things for us to control. Self-control. We're supposed to be in charge of our thoughts, our attitudes. We control that. Our behaviors and our words. And it's wild in our generation right now, it seems like everyone wants to control everyone else's actions, thoughts, and words instead of taking control of their own. And, and this gets really dicey because there are some things that we're responsible to, to take responsibility for and to be in control over, but we often overstep because there are also some things, many things, that are not ours to control. One of the things I've learned is that um, the people around me are not mine to control. Oh, I try sometimes. You probably do too. But the people around us are not ours to control. And if we could, most of us, if we could wave a magic wand, we would love to control the government because we could do a way better job. That's what we think. You know, that we would love to control everything. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is in control and you are not. Now, it's really important because um, one of the things I talk about often here at the church is how in the Bible there are these theological ideas, and I call them tension-filled pairs. So let me explain. The Bible from cover to cover says that God is in control. He's in control over kings, over nations, over history, that somehow, and you can see this as you look back through the Bible, that God was weaving a plan of redemption in Jesus. And the Bible also in the book of Revelation tells us all what's going to take place in the future. Well, how would God know that? And the reason he knows that is because he's sovereign. It's a theological term. He is over. He's in control of everything. But yet here's, here's the tension-filled pair. God gives you and me control over our decisions and our heart, and our lives, and how we treat people. And so God's in control, but he gives us some measure of control. And you go, well, how can those two coexist? It's a tension-filled pair. It just is. It is. He gives us control, and yet somehow he's at work through all of it. So he's in control, 
not us. I was thinking last week I did this judge thing and I had a gavel and I would be like, bang, I'd hit the gavel and say, you know, we judge too harshly, too quickly. And I thought to myself, what could I use this Sunday as uh, an illustration, a reference for control? And then it dawned on me that maybe I should just bring this. Now, some of you recognize this is a TV remote, and I thought, perfect illustration of control. And then I was convicted, because when my family sits down to watch TV, it's always in my hand. And I'm like, man, I seriously, I struggle with this. Maybe I need this sermon more than any of you. And I thought, man, I just, I just love to be in control. I love to control what we watch. I love to control the volume. And I wondered, I thought, I asked my, my younger kids, I said, hey, when I'm not in the room, when the rest of the family, the other five are sitting there watching TV, who has the remote? And I would think perhaps it would be my wife, Jessica. She's the parent, you know, in the room. Or maybe my older son, who's a really strong personality. And then I discovered that it's my sweet, quiet Naomi, who always has the remote. And I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Uh, you know, we'll be watching TV and, and I'll be changing the volume. And my wife, who's sitting on the other side of the couch, is like, Nathan, can you just go up a little more? I'm like, why? It's perfect volume. And she's like, it's at 39. And it's not an even number. I'm like, okay. We have four kids because three was not an even number. So I just, anyway, so, I, so she's like, can you put it to 40? So, okay. And so even though I have the remote, we know who's actually in control. Um, that's, that's a joke, but anyways, <laughs> those who know my wife know she's not very controlling, so that's, that's, that's why it's supposed to be funny. Um, he's in control, and you and I are not. Let's look at this passage of Scripture one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. The invitation that God gives to us is that we would take, and by the way, this remote is not going to represent me controlling me. I don't need a remote to control me. I need a remote to control you. And so I'm looking, I'm going to turn the volume down on you, and oh, I better change the channel on Jackson. You know, it's like, I, this, this represents trying to control the people and the circumstances around us that are not ours to control. We're trying to take control. And so we'll use this as, a, as an illustration of that today. Uh, one of the things that God actually invites us to do is he invites us to take responsibility for the things that are in our control and then to hand this, the things that are outside of our control, to him and to let him handle it. That's the invitation to trust. And, and, and I'll tell you, all of us, we long to grasp back. See, this, this passage of Scripture we just look at, trust in the Lord, it's, it's, so, it's so easy to say, it's so hard to do because when everything's going great, we trust God with our heart. We trust God with our relationships and our money and our school and our decisions. And we trust it all to Him. And we say, you, you, take the, you take the control, God. I trust you with it. But then when things don't go the way we expect, after a year or two, it's like, God, where are you? It's like, God, are, what, I thought you were in control, but you're not. And we start pushing buttons. <laughs> and eventually, we're, we're trying to, to take it all back. And so the invitation for us is to trust, but we will always be tempted to, to take control of the situation. Today I want to look at a, a brief story from the Old Testament. Let me set it up. Um, there's a man by the name of Abraham. You've probably heard of him, okay? Uh, Abraham is called the father of faith because, specifically because he trusted God. He lived with his father, and uh, God speaks to Abraham. He was named Abram. And he says to Abram, I, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to go to a country you've never been to. Trust me. And so literally, Abram's like, okay, I'll do my part and go, but I'm going to have to trust you. God says, I'm going to give you descendants 
I'm going to make great nation out of you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And he's like, okay, I don't know how all that's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you. And he sets that down and he begins his walk of faith. And one of the reasons why I love the Bible is because the, the Bible actually is, is full of um, honesty. If I were to write the Bible, and I didn't, but if I were to write the Bible, there are so many things that I would omit. Like there are, there are, 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 so, there are so many stories in the Bible of people doing really, really dumb things. Uh, of, of people messing up. I mean, there's like days of our lives kind of stuff, right? Like, the, you know, the, the inquirer, it's like, and so Abram, he actually's on this journey. He's trusting God. He's got the remote over here and he goes to Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, the, uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh sees his wife Sarai and he's like, whoo, she's beautiful. And he comes to Abram and he's like, hey, tell me about this girl. And he's like, oh, that's my sister, which is actually half true, which is Another thing I wouldn't have included in the Bible. It's kind of weird. All right, so he's like, this is my, this is my sister. And, and the Pharaoh says, great, I'll marry her. And Abram's like, okay. And he sends his wife off. And God has to come to the rescue and gives Pharaoh a dream. And Pharaoh like sends Abram away with the gifts and the servants that he'd given Abram. So God protects Abram. But in that situation, um, Abram has, is just not trusting God, right? And, and then what happens is uh, they're traveling around in the, what would become the promised land, um, and they're traveling around this land, and God had promised them children. And so that's where we'll pick up the story in, in Genesis 16. It says, now Sarai, who would later become Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. We don't know exactly how long, but this, this may have been up to 10 years of waiting. And I don't know if any of you have ever waited to have a child. 10 years is a long time. And Sarah's getting older. The clock is ticking. Maybe the clock's even run out for her. And there's still no children. And... And all of a sudden, fear and anxiety begin to come in. Well, we gave this control to God and we trusted him that we would have descendants and he's not doing anything. And so what Abram and Sarai are going to do is they're actually going to take control of the situation and we're going to see what happens. Here's, here's how it continues. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. She actually had an Egyptian servant that was given to her by the Pharaoh because the last time Abram didn't trust God. Anyways, that's a whole nother story. He's got an Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And here's what it says. Sarai said to Abram, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's literally like God's in control and he's not doing it. So I've got a plan. Let's do this my way. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So this servant belonged. She was the property of Sarah. And so Sarah says, basically, if I give you my servant, and she has a baby. She's kind of like having a baby for me and it'll be my child. Doesn't quite work out that way, but that's the plan. And then it goes on to say this. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. Now, let's talk about the fallout of this decision. Because Abraham and Sarah's decision to take back the control and the trust that they had given to God actually creates a whole bunch of havoc. Um, Hagar gives birth to a child. His name is Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab people, the Palestinian people, Muslim people. And then later, many, many years later, God actually gives Sarah, who's, who's already gone through menopause, and she, she miraculously gets pregnant. And she gives birth to a son named Isaac. And it's actually through Isaac that the Jewish nation would come. And eventually Jesus, the Messiah, Savior of the world, would come. So you've got these Abrahams here, the father of faith. And there's these two branches coming off of his family now. 
And if you know the story between the Jews and the Arabs and the Palestinians, it's been like 3,000 years of war between those. It's like a huge family feud. All of that began with a decision to not trust God. So what's the takeaway from this? Don't marry your wife's servant. That could be one takeaway. (laughs) I don't know if that's a thing uh, today. Probably not. But uh, maybe the takeaway should be this. Don't let fear keep you from trusting God. He is faithful and he is in control even when it doesn't feel like it. And we should be very, very careful not to grab before the remote to try to take control of the situation. Now, you may not be tempted to marry your wife's servant or whatever, but you will be tempted to take back control and to stop trusting in God. Uh, maybe you're waiting for a partner or a spouse, um, is, you know, and it's taking years and you begin to get fearful. Well, maybe I'll be alone forever. Maybe I'll never find someone. So then you go, anyone will do. Or maybe you've decided to, to, to uh, be financially generous and to give God your first and best. And then you start looking at, oh, well, what if I don't have enough? I'll just, I'll just keep it all for myself. Or if you happen to be a parent, regardless of whether your kids are, are little or in the 30s, you're still a parent. And one thing I've discovered as a parent is that um, you, you want the best for your kids, obviously. And uh, it's very easy to get sucked into this, grab control and begin to take control of their lives. Even when they're 25... You can make an argument that you know more than them, and if you took control of their life, it would go better for them. And so we try, we use guilt, manipulation, all of it, right? We try to control that which is not ours to control. And when we do, it causes devastation. It breaks relationships, and ultimately, it is a lack of trust in God. Uh, One of the other things that's really important to note is that our desire, our controlling behaviors that we all struggle with, and I know everyone here struggles with some form of controlling behavior, it's usually rooted in fear. Or insecurity. So someone might hoard stuff because they will fear that someday they won't have what they need. Or, or someone, might, someone might isolate themselves for fear of being rejected. Right? So there's, there's fears behind. So if you have a controlling behavior, I'm not a psychologist, but may I suggest that you ask yourself, what's the source of this? What is this behavior that I'm exhibiting covering up for? Because sometimes we try to change our controlling behaviors and we can't. And the problem is there's a fear underneath that hasn't been addressed. And and the beautiful thing is, is if we can learn to trust God and release that fear to him and trust in him, then we can eliminate some of these controlling behaviors. So for the the next few minutes, I want to talk uh, about Jesus because he is our example. And uh, there's this um, there's this biblical, I guess it's it's a doctrine. It's called kenosis. And what that talks about is when Jesus, who is God, came down to heaven, he came in the form of a servant and he he set aside his heavenly authority in some sense to live as a man among us. And and in doing so, he actually models for us what it looks like to trust God with the controls. While Jesus was walking around the earth with his disciples, Jesus was like, whatever my father says, I do. Whatever I see him do, I do. I do only what he asks me to do and nothing else. So like Jesus is totally surrendered. And one of the amazing things about Jesus is when you look through his life, his three, three and a half years in the Gospels, he never once grabs for the controls. He surrenders it to God. But then after he rises from the dead and before he ascends into heaven, he makes this incredible statement. Okay, Because before his resurrection, he's like, All authority is God's, all judgment is God's. But then after his resurrection, he's like, all authority and judgment is mine. Here's what he says to his disciples before he ascends into the clouds. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is like, I'm in charge of the angels. I'm in charge of kingdoms. I'm in charge of every human being. 
one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is like, I have all the authority and power to control everyone and everything. Whew! It's pretty cool. Here's what, here's what blows me away. In spite of that, Jesus is not a control freak. Remember when we did the uh, you might be a control freak thing? If you were to look through all those, we never see Jesus using guilt or manipulation. We never see Jesus trying to control his disciples, his followers, the crowds. Jesus doesn't do any of those controlling behaviors that we would highlight. He's not a control freak, even though if there was ever a person who could be in control or should be in control, if there was ever someone who could do it right, it's him. And this has blown me away that Jesus has the authority to control everything. He has the right and the power to control your life. Yet he doesn't. From the time I was a kid, this blew me away. I'm like, I mean, God's in charge. He's sovereign. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Yeah. But he doesn't force me to love him. That's right. He doesn't force me to live the way he wants me to live. No. What does Jesus do? He invites us. He opens his arms and he says, come and follow me. Come. Live as I live. One of the most amazing things when I think about the, when I think about the way of Jesus. Okay? When I think about how Jesus lived his life. It's really incredible. Like one time Jesus is preaching and he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you've got no part of me. And this was really offensive. And many of his disciples got offended and left him. Now, if, if I were Jesus, which I'm not, we're, we, right? I'm not Jesus. If I were Jesus and I said something today that offended half of the church and you guys were all like, we're out of here. We're going to Ferndale or Living Hope, right? You're, you're gone. I would be calling you. I would be reaching out saying, listen, let me explain myself. You met, it was a metaphor. You don't really have to eat my flesh. Like I, I would want to explain. So we like, and Jesus, this blows me away as a leader. Jesus, he says these hard things and maybe half of his disciples up and like, we're out of here and they're leaving. And he's like, love you. Hope you come back sometime. Like just nothing. He makes no attempt to bring them back. Look, look when his when Judas betrays him, Jesus isn't like, well, you dirty dog. I did all this for you. I've given you everything and you sold me out for 30. But like, isn't that what we would do? Jesus doesn't try to control Judas. When Peter denies him three times and the cock crows, Jesus isn't like, I told you so. I told you this would happen. If you just listen to me, then no, he doesn't do that. He stands before Pontius Pilate and he's accused of things he hasn't done. And he says nothing. Why? Because Jesus believed and trusted that his father was in control and he would not grab the control. This is the example that he he gives to us as we're to trust God with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Not only did Jesus not control other people, but he refused to be controlled. The disciples had an agenda for Jesus. He didn't care. The religious leaders had an agenda. The Romans had, everyone had an agenda for Jesus. And he was like, whatever, my father, I'm trusting God. And he continued to faithfully love and serve and would go to give his life for us. This is the way of Jesus. This is, this is what is modeled for us, that we are to, to let go of the things that are not ours to control and actually to trust our father. Because like, like we sang earlier, God will take the things that others have used intended for evil, and use them for good. Jesus' story is, a, is an example of that. I mean, Jesus is like, you're trying to kill me to get rid of me, and yet, through it, I'm going to become the sacrifice for all sins and rule and reign forever. 
and bring all these people into my family. So God takes this horrific thing and turns it into good. It's how he does it. Now, take a moment to consider the way of Jesus, which we've just talked about. Jesus never grasped for control, even though he could have. People have called me a know-it-all a few times. I always deny it, of course. But Jesus literally knew it all. Like he had the answers and and Jesus knew what was on people's hearts and minds. He, like he knew it all. And what's amazing to me is even though he knew it all, you know what he did? He asked people questions and he listened to them. He didn't jam truth down their throat. He didn't say, believe in me or else. Like it was, it was not that. And unfortunately, um, that's the model that we have from Jesus. But I, the unfortunate part is that the church does not always Live it that way. If we compare the way of Jesus to the way of the church. I'll try to be fair here. If I, as I look back on 2,000 years of history, there's a lot there. And I'm not going to pick on the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not going to pick on the Protestant denominations. There's like, all of us have messed up real bad. The best of the church. When the church has done it right, the church has, has cared for orphans and widows. The church has rushed to those in need and opened hospitals risk their lives to go to foreign lands and to share the message of Christ, the hope of salvation and forgiveness. That's when the church has been at its best. But you know when the church has been at its worst in history? You know. When the church has tried to control, control governments, control people, control culture, control behavior. And whenever the church has tried to do that, it has made a mess of things. Would you agree? Think about the Crusades. It's like, oh, we have an idea. Let's convert all the Muslims, right? The descendants of Ishmael with a sword at their throat. Believe in Jesus or else. Ah, it doesn't work. It didn't work here in Canada. When you think about the residential schools, what a tragedy. What was intended to be a good thing, let's provide education and training and we'll teach them about Jesus. But when you force somebody to change that's not the way of Jesus. When you force somebody to believe what you believe, it's not the way of Jesus. And it doesn't work. And all it does is destroys things. Which is why Jesus, although he had all control and all power, steps back and just invites us into relationship with him. There's something to this. Like when we grasp for what is not ours, it, it, it destruction everywhere. So two quick questions we want to ask as we go from this place. Is it mine to control? Is this thing that I'm trying to control actually my responsibility? If you're struggling in a relationship today, can I tell you something? There's a part that you have to play, but it's mostly, it's just you. It's like, am I approaching this person? Am I present? Am I willing to say I'm sorry? Am I willing to do my part in this relationship? And then you have to trust God that God will take care of the other person. If you're struggling with a child, it's like, I'm going to do my part as a parent and I'm going to love and encourage them, but I'm not going to grab the controls from God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to pray and I'm going to lean into him. We want to grasp for that remote. We want to take control of the situation. So is it mine to control? If not, is it his to control? And if it belongs to him, can I suggest to you today that you let it go? That you take that desire to control the other person, the situation, and you say, God, I really want to control this, but I know that every time I touch the buttons, things get worse. So I'm going to put this thing in your hands and trust you with all my heart. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you. And I'm trusting that you will make the way smooth, that you will bring this thing to completion. Let me close with this passage of scripture. I love this, Philippians 4, 6. 
Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is, I mean, it can be a result of of chemical things out of whack in your body, but generally speaking, for most of us, anxiety is caused by fear, uncertainty. He says, don't be anxious about anything. We live in a a world, in a culture right now, where anxiety is higher than I've ever seen it. Everyone's anxious. Everyone's, there's so much fear. But he says, instead of being anxious in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's, here's what Paul says. He's like, don't be anxious. Give it to Him. Trust Him with it. Bring it to Him with prayer. And let it be known to God. And here's the promise. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I was a little kid, I think I was four, four and a half years old, I prayed a prayer one night before I went to bed with my mom. And I I didn't really understand everything I was doing, but I understood that God knew better than me, and I understood that I needed to place my life and control of my future into His loving hands. And I prayed a prayer of salvation. I said something like, Jesus, come into my heart. And I gave him the control. Now I've taken it back dozens of times. I'm just going to point that out there. But each and every day, there's a decision to be made. I'm going to follow through on my commitment to surrender my life to him and to give him control of my life, my family, and my future. And I want to invite you today as we close to do that same thing. Would you, would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes as we, as we pray? Maybe as you're listening today, um, you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never taken that first step to say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I give you my future. I give you everything. And surrender the remote to Jesus. I pray today that if if that's you, you, you wouldn't wait for some perfect moment in the future, but that right now, under your breath, you would just say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. I accept you. I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. And then for those of us, maybe there's an area of fear that's been highlighted this morning or some area that we're trying to control. God, would you help us to trust you? You are faithful. You are faithful. We acknowledge it. And today we choose to place our trust in you and to give it back to you once again. To let go. Because you are in control and we are not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. I invite Todd up to, to close us up.